Well, we're going to be in Exodus 3 tonight, and I just want to share with you some observations out of this particular text of Scripture, Exodus 3. When we come here to Exodus 3, we encounter the man Moses, the third chapter. Exodus is two chapters in, and Moses was born, and now he's 80 years old. So there's a lot of history covered in those first two chapters. 80 years old, Moses meets with the Lord after 40 years of wandering in the desert in the wilderness, leading a flock of sheep. And I made mention of this on Sunday about the Lord and how He works and how His timing is important. Moses really is a a prime example of that. Moses, I think, had an understanding from God of, of God's purpose in his life. But the problem was that he wanted to do God's will, but he wanted to do it in his own time. And the Bible says that when he was full 40 years old, it came into his heart that he should vi- visit his brethren, the, the, the children of Israel, and he did that. He, he went out to, to see how they were doing. And he saw their, their condition, and he saw an Egyptian there who was smiting a Hebrew and took matters into his own hands, and there he killed that Egyptian, assuming that his brethren would understand, the Bible says, that, that he was the one that God had raised up for that purpose. Well, that didn't go well for him, and a lot of times we get ahead of God and it doesn't go well for us. And he had to flee for his life and would spend 40 years in the wilderness. By the time God said, now it's time, I'm ready to use you, Moses thought, Lord, I'm not worthy, I'm not able, I'm not ready to be used of you. And you know that's really about the best time for God to use us is when we think we're incapable, when we realize how insufficient we are, and we realize his sufficiency. So we're going to read about this in Exodus chapter 3. Let's stand together as we read tonight. Exodus 3, verse number 1, it says, Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, And he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see... God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Draw not nigh hither. Put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt, and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. And I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them up out of that land unto a good land, and a large, unto a land flowing with milk and honey, unto the place of the Canaanites, and the Hittites, and the Amorites, and the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come unto me, and I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, 
that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Father, as we look into your word for these next few moments, Lord, I, I realize tonight my inadequacy, but I realize also your sufficiency. Would you help us to behold marvelous things out of your law tonight, to look into your word and see the truth that you have for us, and would you speak to us, Lord, each of us individually as well as corporately, we pray and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. When we come to this point in the history of the nation of Israel, for all of Moses' life, 80 years that he's known, the Israelites have been in bondage. Although it's been a lot longer than just his life, it's been 400 years of bondage and slavery and toil, but for all of Moses' life, all he's ever known as far as his people is that they were slaves. They were a slave people in Egypt. However, Moses himself was not a slave. For those first, first 40 years, he was one of them. He was an Israelite, but he was living uh, in uh, in, in the, the, the king's palace, if you will. He was raised in Pharaoh's household. And he was kind of spared from a lot of the difficulty that his brethren faced. But then at 40 years old, he had to flee into the wilderness. And for the last 40 years now, he's also been somewhat in bondage. Though not as a slave, not with taskmasters over him. But rather, he's in bondage to a life of isolation. A life, uh, no doubt, of some regret. A life of difficulty living in a foreign land uh, 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 among people that he didn't know and, and leading a flock of sheep. And as I mentioned Sunday, he was kind of out there somewhat all alone. The, the flock of sheep that he was leading, it weren't even his sheep. It was his father-in-law's sheep. And, and he had gone from a life of privilege to some degree of a life of poverty. And he had gone from a life of, of, of power and position to a life of isolation and and no doubt the Lord used that to humble him. And now he comes to what the Bible calls the mountain of God. Now I don't know that at the time it was known as the mountain of God, but it's known today as the mountain of God because that was the place where the Lord would meet with his people. And it was the place he appeared to him, that mountain of Horeb. We later know it as the Mount Sinai. And it was the place where God would meet with his people. It was the mountain of God. And here we have Moses all alone, humble, somewhat destitute. And he goes to this mountain and there God meets with him and intervenes in his situation and in his life. And Moses is about to find out that God is going to change everything. Now I understand and I don't ever want to try to over-romanticize the things of the Christian life. And I understand that there is a lot to be said for faithful consistency and growth and God just working in our life day by day and sanctifying us and growing us. But I'm also thankful for those moments where we meet with God and where, where things are never the same. I'm thankful for the Mount Horeb moments and I'm thankful for those Damascus Road moments and I'm, I'm thankful for the Mount Carmel moments. You know, I'm just thankful that God will sometimes do a work in our lives that's just evident and obvious and things are never the same. 
Obviously, salvation is one of those times for everyone. And, and though it may look different for each of us, the reality is when you come to Christ and salvation, you come as a lost, hell-bound sinner and you leave as a child of the King. I mean, you, you, everything changes from that moment on. Life is never the same. But the reality is that there are some times in our Christian lives where God has to do things and work in our life in such a way and bring us to this point of humility and brokenness so that he can once again meet with us in a special way and, 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 and change our circumstances and work in our lives. And I see so many parallels here between the between Moses and, and us. Really, Moses was a man who had all this potential. He had been uh, raised for the very purpose of being a deliverer in Egypt, or, from, or for Israel from Egypt. And yet, when he thought he was ready to do that and to fulfill that, God said, you're not ready yet. I've got to break you first. And it took 40 years for God to break him. But he did it. And then... God appeared to him in Horeb. I'm thankful that there are times that God brings us to a place of humility and brokenness and that process isn't always pleasant and it's not always easy, but sometimes God does that, I believe, so that he can then reveal to us, now's the time, now I'm ready to use you, now I'm ready to do something in your life. And, and I look forward to those Mount Horeb moments. I look forward to those times where the Lord just meets with me and changes things. You know what I mean? I, I'm thankful that I can point back to some times in my life where God did some things in me and I, and I can look to and, and almost like my the, the memory that I have of salvation where God just got a hold of me there and when God called me to preach and when, when the Lord got a hold of my heart again when I was 19 years old, I just I, I can point to these times, I can tell you where I was and, and what was going on at the time and God just did something in my life. And then there have been periods in my life where I, like Moses, have wandered in the desert not hearing from God and just trying to stay faithful and just trying to hang in there and do what I know is right, but, but, but hungry. You know, uh, David talked about that in Psalm 63. He said, My flesh longeth for thee, my, my soul thirsteth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. I, 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 I'm just looking. He says, to, to, uh, in fact, let's, let's hold our place here and just go there. Uh, we've got time, I think. Psalm 63, I want to show you this. Uh, Psalm 63, he says, verse number 1, O God, thou art my God, early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee, my flesh longeth for thee, in a dry and thirsty land where no water is, to see thy power and thy glory, so as I have seen thee in the sanctuary. In other words, I, I, I've seen your power and your glory before. I've seen you work in my life before. I, I, I've heard you speak to me before, and now I'm in this dry and weary land where there's no water, and, I, and I'm thirsting for you. I'm hungering to hear from you and to meet with you. I've experienced it before, and I'm looking for it again. And folks, I just want to say, I, I believe that our, in our lives, we need to have that. It, it, it's not that every day that God just shows up in a burning bush and speaks to us. And, 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 and every, you know, our life isn't all about these big highlight moments. But 
But we ought to look for those. We ought to look for opportunity. We look, ought to look for times where the Lord wants to do something and where the Lord wants to work. And I want to just point out a few issues here going on within the text and, and maybe make some parallels in our, in our lives, in our situation, as we consider wanting to meet with the Lord and, and desiring for Him to meet with us. I want to, first of all, show you the reason that the Lord appeared to Him. The reason... Look at verse number 7. It says, And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt, and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. God says, I've looked down on my people. I see the situation that they are in. The Bible describes it as, as hard bondage. They had taskmasters. They were laboring. They were toiling away. They were being abused and mistreated. And this was not what God had intended for them. And for 400 years, God's people suffered under the hand of a cruel authoritarian nation. And in the midst of all of that, there's no doubt in my mind that the Israelites probably felt as though God had forgotten and that God had forsaken them. But isn't it good to know that God says, I know their sorrows? He says, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters. Verse 8, he says, I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land unto a good land and a large, unto a land flowing with milk and honey. Verse number 9, now therefore behold the cry of the children of Israel is come unto me. And I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppressed them. Friend, I just want you to know tonight, wherever you are, if there is a need in your life, if there's a burden in your life, if you feel as though God has forsaken you, I want you to know, first of all, He has not forsaken you. He sees you in your place of need. He knows your sorrows, and He is ready and willing to meet you in your place of need. I love the promise that He, or the statement that He made here. He says, I have heard their cry. Twice in those three verses, he says, I've heard their cry. And he says, I'm come down to deliver them. God showed up when his people cried out unto him. And I want you to know tonight that God sees you in your place of need, and it may be that there's something that God wants to do in your life, and he's just waiting for you to call unto him. He said, call unto me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Hold your place here in Exodus if you would, but go with me to the book of 2 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles 16. I want to show you a verse, you've probably seen it and noticed it before. It's one of those verses, if you're reading through the Bible, it has a tendency to kind of jump off the page at you. And the reason is because the, the books of the kings and the chronicles are primarily just narrative accounts of things that happened uh, among the kings and the history of the nation of Israel. 
But every once in a while, God just kind of pulls back the curtain and gives us a little bit of a glimpse into his character and his nature and his, his dealings with mankind. And, and I want you to notice here in verse number 9, a prophet has come to King Asa, a man named Hanani, the seer, the prophet, and he's rebuking him for trusting in uh, the, the king of Syria rather than seeking the Lord. And, and he says in verse number 9 of Second Chronicles 16, he says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. Isn't that an incredible statement? That the eyes of the Lord are running to and fro throughout the whole earth. God is looking everywhere in the earth for opportunities to show himself strong. But it says that he wants to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is perfect toward him. Now the idea of having a heart that is perfect toward God is not the idea that everything in your life is perfect and that you're sinless and that there's nothing wrong in your life. The idea of having a heart that's perfect toward God, if you look at the context, what he's saying is that your problem is you're looking to solve your issue based on or, or by fleshly means, by worldly means, when you should have been looking to God. And that's the idea of having a, a perfect heart toward the Lord. It's a heart that says, God, I can't fix this problem. I can't solve my problem, so I'm going to look to you and trust you. And the Bible says that God is looking for opportunities to show himself strong. Friend, God wants to show himself strong in your life tonight and in my life. He wants to show himself strong, but he's only going to do it if our heart is perfect toward him, if we're willing to say, Lord, the need that I have in my life can't be solved by human wisdom and reasoning. The, the, the problem that I have in my life isn't going to be fixed by money or, 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 or by uh, uh, finding the right doctor or whatever the case. Not that God can't use those things and do those things, but what I need is for God to intervene in my life. And folks, as we look at the situation, and I, and I told you the things that, that I desire in my home and my family and for my children and and some things that I desire for God to do in my life, and, and, and things I desire to see God do in our church. I just want to say tonight, these things are not going to be accomplished by human wisdom and reasoning and ability. It has to be God. We need to look to Him. But I'm thankful that we can say tonight, we have a God that's looking for an opportunity to show Himself strong. God said, I, I'm coming down to meet them because I've heard their cry and I've seen their sorrow, I've seen their oppression. And friend, wherever you are tonight, God sees you and he's waiting for you to call unto him. To look to him to do something in your life. But then as we go back to Exodus 3, I want to show you some things that some circumstances that Moses that, that were real in Moses' life in order for God to meet with him and speak to him. I find it interesting that as God was wanting to work on behalf of a nation, he raised up a man. That's actually interesting. As you go through the Bible, you'll find that man will often 
raise up an army or a committee. You know, we've got a need, we've got something we want to do. We've got to, we got to figure out how to do this. God often raises up a man. And he came, as he was wanting to work among his people Israel, he went to one man. And he initiated his work in the life of one man. And can I just say to you tonight, it might be, it might be that what God wants to do in our church is going to start with one. That what God wants to do in your home will start with one. That what God wants to do in our community and in our nation will start with one individual. God appeared to Moses. And I want you to notice that there was recognition. There was a reason, but there was recognition. And the recognition was on the part of Moses. Look at verse number 2. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him, unto Moses, in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. Now, I've read, and I don't know necessarily that this is true, but I've read in multiple places that... In this particular part of the world, that wilderness kind of outside of Egypt, between uh, Egypt and, and Israel and that, that region around there, that it was not uncommon to see bushes that were on fire. It was a dry area and, and in that arid climate that sun would beat down and, 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 and sometimes that bushes would light on fire. And then in addition to that, they say that off in the distance, often that you, there would be kind of mirages, the way that the sun would, would hit uh, uh, bushes and things off in the distance, it could make them look like they were on fire. But there was something different about this bush, because it says that the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush, and it look, it says, and he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. In other words, Moses was perceptive enough to kind of pay attention. Hey, there's a bush over there that's on fire. And it seems like it's been burning for a while, but it hasn't burned up yet. And there's something different about this. Look at verse number 3. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. In other words, something is different here. And even that, that, that phrase, I will now turn aside. I want you to think about this. I understand that Moses was in the wilderness. He's leading a flock of sheep. And it might be easy to say he was a little bored and didn't have a lot to do. But he was caring for a flock of sheep. And no doubt he had some agenda in what he was doing. And yet he says, I'll turn aside and see it. It has this idea, this connotation. I'm going to stop what I'm doing. And I'm going to pay attention to what's, what's going on over here. I, I want to take a moment and just set aside what, what I'm, I'm going to drop what I'm doing because I need to look into this further. And then I want you to notice verse number four. It says, and when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see. God called unto him out of the midst of the bush. I want you to notice this for, for a minute with me tonight. Notice it doesn't say that God appeared to him out of the bush and called unto him. It says that the Lord appeared unto him 
But it never says he called unto him until Moses turned aside to see. And it specifically says when the Lord saw that Moses turned aside to see, then he called unto him. In other words, the Lord appeared, but it wasn't necessarily obvious. It wasn't something that was just like Moses is walking along and God says, Moses. That didn't happen. What happened was God said, I'm going to appear. And Moses was perceptive enough to say, there's something going on over there, and I'm not sure what it is, but it's significant enough that I need to stop what I'm doing here so that I can turn my attention here. And when God saw that he had Moses' attention, then he spoke. And folks, I want to say to you tonight, I think there's a lesson in that for us. Because we have a tendency to live our lives so busy and consumed and distracted that we wonder why is God not speaking because we're looking for him to call out, Brian. We say, well, God hasn't done anything. I wonder, when was the last time we turned, turned aside to see when was the last time that we, we were busy crying out to the Lord, Lord, I need you to do something, and I'm willing to set aside some distractions, and I'm willing to set aside some time and, 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 and turn aside from some of the things that would consume my mind and my time and my attention, and I'm just going to hone in and listen in for what God has for me. And when, the Bible says that when, when Moses turned aside to see, and God saw that Moses turned aside to see, then he called unto him. Friend, can I just encourage you? If you need God to do something in your life, turn aside. Take some time. Set aside some things that are distracting you. Listen, we live in such a, a busy world. This is, it, it's, it's almost just common in our, in our vernacular today. How are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm busy. It's not a lie. We're all busy. We all have things. And you know what? When we have a free moment, we make ourselves busy. We're constantly occupied. Our mind is constantly filled. We're constantly entertained. And it's no wonder. It's no wonder that so frequently we fail to hear from God because... He's constantly being interrupted. Can I just encourage us? Maybe turn aside. Set some things down. Put some things aside. Take some time to seek the Lord. God called out to Samuel there in the tabernacle. But he didn't reveal his will until Samuel said, here am I. There was recognition. Then fifthly, or, or thirdly, verse number five, I want to show you there was reverence. It says, and he said, draw not nigh hither, put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Could it be that sometimes 
we don't hear from God because we don't turn aside. Could it be that sometimes we don't hear from God the way that He wants us to hear from Him because we approach Him too casually? God said, Moses, I've got a message for you, but you need to understand this place where you're standing, this is holy ground. You're in the presence of the Lord. And you need to take those shoes off. Why did he have to take the shoes off? Well, it was a sign of reverence. It was a sign of respect. I understand that the Eastern culture, you take your shoes off when you go into a building and that kind of thing. But the reason for that is because you're walking out in the dirt and the filth of the world and taking your shoes off has this idea of, I don't want to bring filth and dirt into this place. Do you realize as we walk around in this world, we get contaminated with some of the filth of this world? Jesus washed his disciples' feet. Remember? Peter said, Peter said, Lord, you're not going to wash my feet. He said, if, if I don't wash you, you don't have any part with me. But Peter said, not my feet only, but my head and my hands. He said, if I've washed you, you're clean every whit. But he still needed to have his feet washed. I'm glad that I'm saved. I'm cleansed. I'm made right with God. But friend, as I walk through this world, I need some cleansing from time to time. And I think sometimes we go through life thinking, I'm saved so everything's okay and God's just obligated to interact with me. And, and, and who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart. Draw nigh to God, he'll draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. I'm just saying, when we come into the presence of the Lord, we need to say, okay, Lord, is there anything in my life that needs to be put off so that I can come into your presence? I mean, it is holy ground after all. And by the way, apart from just sin and filth of the world, I, I, I would say as we come into the presence of the Lord, we need to understand this is, this is holy ground. This isn't a place that we just approach it casually. God is not one of us. He's high and holy and separate from sinners. It is a privilege, a privilege to be able to come boldly under the throne of grace. But we ought to do so with some fear and reverence. And I'm afraid we are so casual sometimes in the way we approach the Lord. We actually will come to church kind of just out of routine. We'll pray and it doesn't mean much to us. We'll open the Bible. We'll talk casually about the things of God. I'm, I, listen, I don't think God wants us to be monks. I don't think he wants us to be these, you know, we're, well, we walk into the church building and all of a sudden we've got to be silent. And we, we, we can have joy in the house of the Lord and the presence of God. But friend, I want, I want you to know something. 
if God shows up and meets with us, and by the way, he's promised to, where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst of them, we need to recognize this is a special event. This isn't just something that we, we're not going to a ball game. We're not sitting in front of the TV with our feet up. I just think there needs to be a degree of reverence in what we do. And that ought to be reflected in our attitude. It ought to be reflected uh, in, our, in our conversation. It ought to be reflected in our dress. Because we're meeting with God. God said, you've turned aside. I want to speak to you, but put your shoes on. Take your shoes off. And then I want to show you, lastly, the end of our text here. That when God spoke, it came with some responsibility. Verse number 10, God says to Moses, Come now, therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. It might just be that if God shows up, he'll change our agenda. Moses, those sheep aren't so important anymore because I have something else for you. Could it be that sometimes we fail to hear from God because we don't turn aside to see? Could it be that sometimes we don't hear from God because we approach him too casually and with some filth in our life that needs to go? Could it be that sometimes we don't hear from God because we're not willing for God to say, your life, the things that are important right here, they no longer are. You're going in this direction now. We're not really looking for God to shake things up too much. Friend, I want to hear from God. I want to see God do something. But we've got to be willing to say, Lord, here am I. Send me whatever it is that you want me to do. Whatever, I, I'm willing. I'm yielded. My body is presented, a living sacrifice. I'm here. I'm willing. It might come with some responsibility.